This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 357 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, maintaining weight on the spooky stagecoach. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Equisketch and EasySignsOnline.com. This week, Coach Jen joins Helene and I as we speak to Dr. Cubitt, and we cover several studies presented at the recent Equine Nutrition Symposium addressing the challenges of maintaining healthy weight on our horses. And our friend Gloria Austin stops by with her Horses in History segment on stagecoaches through history. Plus, Helena brings us the Tack and Habit product of the week, and it's spooky. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hail or high water, while using their tails as their own flight swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop calls. It's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. This is Glenda Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. And... We have a special guest with us today, and that's my good friend, Coach Jen from Horse Tip Daily. Hi. <laughs> Yay. And she's on today to help us out. She actually did one of the interviews that we have for today, so she's going to be uh, inter- or introducing that a little later, but I begged her to hang out, and it didn't take much because you two just never stop talking when you're hanging out together. <laughs> <No>. so <laughs> This is valuable stuff. That's right. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Hey, guys, I got to tell you about this. Something I came across just a couple minutes ago. I was looking through the horse news, and I came across this uh, this group that I never even knew existed. Uh, you know the Make-A-Wish Foundation for Kids, right? Everybody knows that one. Well, there's this foundation that I did not know about called the Twilight Wish Foundation. And what they do is the same thing as Make-A-Wish for Kids they do for seniors. Uh, it's a bucket list fulfiller. It is. It's a seniors that are kind of at the end of their life and don't have long to go and have want to have they have one last wish that they wish to do. Well, in in Wyano, Pennsylvania, Patricia Glasser uh, is 86 years old and she had ridden all her life. But for the last 10 years, she hadn't been able to ride, and she was at a nursing home, and that one of her wishes was to ride again. So they took her out to this ranch, and the ranch set it all up, and they got a super safe horse. They managed to get her on board, and she rode for for almost 20 minutes, and apparently had the biggest smile she's had in 10 years. And they got her back on a horse, and uh, her legs had been a problem and all this stuff, but she was able to ride just fine. And... uh, so uh, so she got to have her wish fulfilled by this Twilight Wish Foundation. So then I went and looked that up, 
And the Twilight Wish Foundation is really cool. It really is kind of a make-a-wish for seniors. There's this one guy, Gunther Volkman. He's 84, and he's out of Tucson, Arizona, and he was a jockey when he was young and had a wish. He was been in a nursing home, and he's had a wish one more time before he died to go back to the track. Well, they took him back to the track at real, I don't even know how to say Rio the name Doso? of the racetrack. Rio Doso Downs? Realito Real, Real Downs. Oh, I'm not familiar with And they took him there, and they actually named a race for him, and the jockey dedicated the race to him that won, and they took him back into the barns, and he got to say oh. hi to the horses, and they had the local news there, and he was there in his wheelchair, so he got to have his wish. They've done all kinds of really cool stuff. Uh, this people is awesome. Taking people on trips, and uh, one guy just wanted to learn how to draw, so they brought a professional artist in, and they were spending time with him every week, teaching him how to draw. Uh, the one lady they took out in a limousine to take her to, they she wanted to go to her her grandkids graduate grad, or grand nieces and nephews graduation, but they were the in Las Vegas. The graduation. <laughs> they were in Las Vegas, and so they flew her there, and they had a limousine pick her up, and they took her to the high school so she could be at the graduation. Just some really cool stuff. I never knew this existed. <laughs> Me either. It's so nice. Yeah, you hear all about Make-A-Wish, but you never heard about this one. So I'm giving them a shout-out today. Twilight Wish. It's twilightwish.org. Twilight Wish. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I had wow. never heard of that before. So I just found that before the show, and I had to bring it up. Well, that was aren't very you just noble. full of warm and fuzzy, aren't you? Yeah. I know. I know. Super Look at noble. Me. <laughs> Look at me. So what's up with Helena? Is it as hot up there as it is? As if it's going to hit like 101 today. It's beautiful here. It's in the low 70s, and it's sunny with a light, warm breeze. This is the best time of year to be in New England. I forgot all about winter. <laughs> you know, I was wondering Wait. how long it would take you guys to forget about this, the most horrible winter you've ever had. We haven't forgotten it exactly. We just, the memories of it have been, have changed a little bit. They've melted. <laughs> they've been modified. They've yeah, melted they've away. Modified. No, it's gorgeous here. We've been, um, we've been hacking out and it's nice because the bugs aren't too bad yet. And the horses are happy to be around, you know, to be out and about and, um, coats get, have been shed out. Feet do you get are the nasty green heads like we used to have in Northern Massachusetts in July? No, we get, um, just black face flies, the biting flies, and we get deer flies. Hmm. Oh, so the those deer little triangle shaped ones, the yellow ones? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, they hurt. They're fresh. Hurt. They're yes. fresh. I hate them. They're the Shetland pony of flies. They really are. <laughs> Those are the kinds of flies that will bite you on your eyelid. I know yes. this from firsthand experience. <laughs> yes. So, do yeah. you? Uh, so, uh, do you constantly are you, are you covering in fly sheets, or are you just using fly spray? So here's the thing: I have three different kinds of fly sheets because that's the kind <laughs> of girl I am. And none of them, and I don't like any of them. (laughs) You can't. So you put the fly sheets on and they get all twisted up, right? So then I put the fly sheet on with the, well, here's the thing. My horse, Brody in particular, he gets, um, he gets attacked all in his groin, all in his sheath, every, all under his belly. So I'm like, I'm going to get the fly sheet with the belly wrap. Well, that's fine until a fly gets up in the sheet and can't get out because it's trapped by the belly wrap. Oh, that's Mm. bad. Yeah. So now I do nothing. I leave their tails and I spray them 
with some fly spray just because that's what you got to do, even though it doesn't really work. Um, but what I do is actually the thing that I found to be the most effective against flies and bugs in the summertime is to actually keep them in the barnyard on a hot buggy day and leave their stalls open and they'll come inside to get away from the bugs. Yeah. The flies don't particularly care for shade. So yeah, they don't care for shade and then they can go out and graze, um, when they, you know, at night when it's cooler and the bugs aren't bothering them. Yeah. Well, you'll be very excited to note that I've been uh, working on plans for our travel, so uh, heading up to your plates. I'm really yeah. excited. Well, what? we're really excited, too, because it's going to be August in Florida, and we're thinking that s- 70s or 80s sounds yeah. much better up there. So. It, it's gorgeous, and it's even nicer here on the coast. You know, it's always 10 degrees cooler than the rest of the world, and it makes a difference this time of year. Well, we're very excited to be coming up there in August. We are uh, we are going to do two things today. We have two interviews that we have pre-recorded that we wanted to bring to the Stable Scoop audience today, and the first one is kind of a tie-in with the driving radio show. David Saunders, who was coachman to the Queen for twenty years over in Britain, joins me once a month on the show, and he is now coachman to uh, a woman down here, a lovely lady by the name of Gloria Austin. Gloria Austin lives above Orlando, about an hour above Orlando, and she has a beautiful farm that is off uh, uh, a very cool driving center, and she also has a carriage museum there. And at the Carriage Museum, it's Grand Oaks, right, Jennifer? I always get that name wrong. The Grand Grand Oaks Oaks Resort. The Grand Oaks Resort. And there's a Carriage Museum there. And she she has, what, almost 200 carriages that she has in her collection. Oh, at least. Oh, my gosh. It's it's, It's an entire day to go through that place. If you ever get to Florida and you're near Orlando, I don't care whether you're into driving or not. Go to the Carriage Museum. It is so cool because Mm. it's a little bit of history from all over the world in this museum. And she has some one-of-a-kind pieces, too. She has everything from um, Roman chariots to uh, vehicles from World War... Horse-drawn vehicles from World War One, Ancient Tibetan carriages. Yeah. And then then a royal coach, you know, that's worth a fortune that's in there, too. It's so cool. But you have to go there. Well, she does a segment with us every month on uh, called Horses in History, where she goes around with David Saunders through the museum talking about the history of these carriages and what they were used for and that kind of thing. Well, she did one that I thought the Stable Scoop audience would love on stagecoaches, because who doesn't know what a stage... Everybody knows what a stagecoach looks like, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, she talks about the history of stagecoaches and how they function and, and how the horses were and what the harness they used and everything in this segment that she did with David Saunders, and I thought our Stable Scoop audience would love it. So this is Gloria Austin with her Horses in History segment from the, from the driving radio show. Well, this is one that hasn't been aired anywhere yet, so you're going to be the first to hear it, and this is on Stagecoaches. It's time for Horses in History with Gloria Austin. Welcome to the driving radio show. I'm here again with the lovely Gloria Austin at the uh, Grand Oaks um, Resort here in Florida. And uh, welcome, first of all, welcome, Gloria. Yes, thank you, David. I, I really appreciate you highlighting the uh, Gloria Austin carriage collection uh, on your show uh, because it's always a thrill and delight for me to talk about carriages because I really get inspired. 
Well, today we're going to talk about this uh, Abbott and Downing Concord coach. Some people call it a stagecoach. Um, I know uh, you're going to tell us a lot about this carriage today, but I think this is interesting because I know you have a lot of pride in this carriage because I know you had a lot to do with the... I know it's a replica, and, uh, I, and we're going to talk today about the carriage itself and the harness. So tell us a little bit about the carriage. Well, well the carriage is probably most noted because uh, Wells Fargo actually purchased some 30 carriages from Abbott and Downing up in Concord, New, Ma- New Hampshire, and shipped them west on a train, and they were used to transport uh, passengers, gold, and uh, other express packages and things such as that through the American West. And they were particularly popular during the gold rush days uh, when Wells Fargo needed to take care of the gold and make sure it wasn't stolen or uh, the highway robbers didn't take it from uh, uh, this particular coach that actually carried the gold as well as other passengers, as I said, and other things. The unique thing about it is its color, and any of you who have maybe watched some of the old films or films that featured these, uh, some people call them Wells Fargo stagecoaches. They have red bodies and bright yellow, straw yellow, they used to call it, undercarriages. So it's a, it's a very unique type of American carriage, uh, that is iconic in our American history. Well, I find it fascinating because actually my bank is Wells Fargo. Oh. And uh, it's interesting how they must have got into banking. Do you know why they got into banking? Well, I think they needed to protect the gold that was transported in the American West. So, yes. Uh, the, the In fact, it's interesting because the lettering and scroll work on the sides was done by a particular man. I p- forget his name. I think it was Burnham. He actually uh, decorated these coaches with gold leaf and uh, and very decorative paint. And the door panels actually have a, a picture on each side, and it was of, oftentimes representative of scenes of the American West. In this case, since it's a reproduction, I've actually had scenes of uh, Florida put on the side of it, a, an old 1800s uh, boating scene and an old 1800s golfing scene, because those are the two things we most enjoy here in Florida. In fact, the coach even says on the side of it, Austin Stage Lines, and it says from Orlando to Wearsdale. Now, that's strictly fictitious, because there was not a coach like this that went from but, but it's a faithful replica. It's a faithful replica. And, and who built it for well, you? Well, uh, Will I Green from Orient, Ohio, actually built the coach, and it won the Carriage Restoration Top Award for new carriages. And Ken Wheeling, who is an expert in these Concord coaches of that were made in Concord, New Hampshire, suggested in 50 years you couldn't tell this from the original. Right now it looks very new. New, new, so you might suspect that it's not an original coach. Uh, but again, he says the restoration is so faithful to the original scale and uh, uh, um, fittings of the original coach that it would be hard to distinguish it in a few years. So tell us a little bit about the coach itself. <clears throat> Let's talk about... Um its use was mainly going across country, so I see it's on a fairly, really robust perch, 
and uh, the suspension is is very interesting. Tell us a little bit about the, the perch and the suspension. Well, the perch has three braces connecting the front and rear axle to add for integral strength because, as you said, it was for driving on rough roads or no roads. And most people think the suspension, which is means that the body here was on leather thorough braces uh, or leather straps and actually swayed forward and back, side to side. Many people think that was for the comfort of the passengers, but that is not true. It was apparently less than comfortable to ride in this rocking, seesawing uh, body. The suspension was specifically constructed so the body would not shake apart on rough roads and no roads. So it was independent from the undercarriage of the vehicle that took all the the knocks and bangs of ruts and rocks on the roadway. So it, it, the suspension is specifically to prevent the body from falling apart on rough roads or no roads. So I'm looking at the the construction of the vehicle now. How, how many people typically would ride inside? Oh, they say they could get as many as 20 on the coach altogether, the Western-style coaches, uh, with luggage on top. There's a luggage rack, rack on top. This actually is an Eastern-style body painted in the Western Wells Fargo manner, and it, it, the Eastern-style coach only sat six people inside, two facing backwards, two facing forward in the rear seat, and then there was a middle bench with a leather back on it so you could get two more people in this middle bench seat. So only six on the inside. You could get another probably three on top uh, near the luggage rack, and then the driver or whip and uh, a guard or uh, would be riding on the main seat. In fact, it's interesting, David, uh, those who will come to visit the museum and actually see this carriage or, or look at our uh, book that's coming out shortly on the Austin Carriage Collection, and they'll see on the uh, what we call the offside of the carriage, you'll see a leather case for uh, a shotgun, a a pouch that is suspended from the uh, seat, seat rail, and the uh, shotgun was actually to protect the gold and the passengers from the highway robbers, and the uh, pebble bag was actually to t- remove the pebbles and throw them t- or toss them at your lead horses, And in the American West, oftentimes there were six horses. And as you will see in the museum, we actually have this carriage displayed with six horses in front of it with an authentic reproduction harness for the horses here. Before we talk about the harness, that's interesting because that's where the expression riding shotgun came up. You know, people talk about riding cool shotgun. So is that sitting next to the driver? That's where that's it came from. That's sitting next to the driver and Great. protecting the driver, passengers, horses, and all. And uh, they were quite good at wheeling a shotgun. And uh, it, it really discouraged the highway robbers to know that they had a, a real good guard on this coach. 
Let's talk a little bit about the harness, because I know a lot of people, a lot of our listeners will want to hear about the harness. Mm -hmm. uh, I know you've talked about um, you, you know, European carriages and everything else like this, but this was a typical Western loose hitch. Tell yes. us more about that, because yes. I know, uh, and we may talk about this later with gun carriages and stuff like that, you know, the military used loose hitches as well for Correct. the same reason. But tell us a little bit more about this harness, i.e. who made it, um, and, and, and the benefits of of, of this type of harness? Well, Greg Hunt actually made this harness, and the important thing when you go to get reproduction harness is that you work with a maker who knows the patterns or has the patterns from the original harness and also knows uh, and may have even access to various fittings that were antique. In fact, on this harness, uh, the key fitting where the trace fits into the tug on the collar, those are all antique fittings that Greg Hunt has collected over the years. The inter interesting thing about harness making today is leather rots over time. Um, and also with carriage restoration, it's mostly the upholstery and uh, the cloth materials uh, that will rot over time. Well, harness will actually has a lifetime and it can decay, particularly if it's not well maintained. <clears throat> and this harness uh, was, so the fittings may be original or exacting reproductions, that means the hardware, the hardware, but the leather is all brand new leather so that it's strong enough because it's always been my philosophy that we should be able to take these carriages, fit them to horses with the authentic type harness and go off for a drive. And that's what we can do with the, uh, with this Concord, reproduction Concord coach. And the other thing I'm looking at, it's all single leather. I mean, most people don't understand about double leather and single leather. Right. But single leather harness is just one piece of leather. Most of you with show harness that out there in Radio Land know that your harness is, is, is two-faced. It's two pieces of leather stitched together. Yeah. But this is single leather because it's much lighter, I guess. And I'm looking also at uh, the collars. The collars are mm -hmm. multifunctional. They have wooden aims on them. Right. The the The... the the, the the piece of harness that you were talking about, the piece of the harness furniture that comes down from the new market strap, um, mm -hmm. is very adjustable because I guess they they didn't know what sort of horses they'd be using, so it had to be multi multi use. Would you would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. In fact, the girth is not tight around the horses. The loose hurt. The loose hitch term comes from the fact that everything is kind of wibbly wobbly on it. Uh, uh, the uh, swingle trees uh, rotate back and forth. Uh, the girth is not tight on the horses. Uh, the uh, collars are, are, of course, custom fitted generally to the horses. Um, and the collar is probably the most important part of this whole harness because you need your horses to pull the carriage, not necessarily stop it, because you're out on the open range and you're generally going very straight. So if you notice in the front underneath the collar, there's a slide with some chain, a chain underneath the collar and a slide on the pole straps. So if the front wheels strike a stone or a rut in the road, the tongue of the carriage may move back and forth, but the, with these slides on chains, it's not going to put any torque on the horse's shoulder through the collar. So the collars have to be fitting properly. Everything else is very loose for the comfort of the horse. So as you were saying before about the 
because we always think about things for our comfort, but the carriage, as you said, was not built for the comfort of the people riding in it. It was to stop it being shaken apart. And by the same token, you're saying the harness is to stop the horses being shaken apart. It's designed the same way to stop the, 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 the ruts and the holes and the rocks in the road upsetting the horses. Correct. Absolutely. And it's interesting to drive uh, because I've, most of these carriages in the museum I've driven at one point or another, because the body rocks so much back and forth, you don't maintain much contact with the horse's mouth. You oftentimes have to ride the brake a little bit to make sure that you have contact with the horse's mouth, particularly on the turns. And because it's a loose hitch, you can actually turn the horses without turning the carriage. It's a little bit like having delayed steering uh, in the modern vehicles that they have. The horses turn first, and then the, the front axle will turn after the horses have turned. So it's very difficult to drive in an indoor arena. And I think you can see a picture here at the museum with me driving it in a very small arena up in Ocala. So you, you practically are turning all the while in the arena, and it, it just makes it difficult to drive. So you have to get used to driving a Concorde coach compared to an English-style coach. Well, on that note, <coughs> you see a lot of um, these towns out west, the, the, the boulevards, the roads are very wide. Yes. And I read somewhere that that was to do with turning a six-horse hitch in the road. So there was a standard width to swing this team round, which, yes. would, which would actually make the, the, the width of the road wide enough so they had to keep to that standard everywhere. Was that, was that true? That's, that's correct. It's interesting because in Europe, uh, places like France and uh, Paris and London grew up during medieval times when people walked and did push carts. And when the big foreign hands came along with the big carriages, it was oftentimes very difficult to drive through the streets and make your turns. So uh, you had to develop a system of driving where you turned the first pair first and the second pair after delayed uh, because you couldn't get around the narrow streets. Well, in the American West, we knew the problems of designing cities in Europe during medieval times. So they said, well, let's design them for these American coaches in these six-horse hitches or mule trains uh, and wagon trains that needed to go through these these uh, streets of the American West. They were particularly conscious of it in the American West. In the East Coast, like in, in New York City and places like that, they were, they were kind of adopted the European style of having a little bit narrow streets. But you can see that Fifth Avenue is pretty wide and right, uh, right. a lot of those uh, those streets in New York are very spacious for horse-drawn carriages. And one, one other question uh, before we finish on this carriage. I noticed that all the horses are in blinkers. I mean, were, were blinkers standard or, or did they often drive them without blinkers or what's the history on that? Well, it, it, it depended. They didn't necessarily drive with blinkers on the side. It, it's, I do not recommend anybody driving today without horses and blinkers because we drive with tractor trailers approaching us from the rear and, and dogs running out from the side. Uh, but oftentimes, particularly even fire vehicles, they had no winkers generally on the bridles of, uh, of the fire horses that ran through the city streets. And oftentimes there were no winkers on these stagecoach horse uh, turnouts. But again, 
it the the winkers are there to focus the horse's attention on his work which is on his where his feet go and also to prevent him from seeing the signal of the whip the driver and whip well thank you very much gloria i hope everyone found that as interesting as i do because it's 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 really fascinating with the link to the bank today i say wells fargo bank and and the way the the, the roads were constructed out west and I, I think this has been a very interesting segment thank you very much gloria thank you david it's been a great pleasure again i love going over these carriages horses in history is sponsored by the equine heritage institute For almost 20 years, the Equine Heritage Institute, a 501c3 charity, has been educating, celebrating, and preserving the history of the horse and its role in shaping civilization and our lives. EHI has a vast array of educational offerings, including CAA, driver preparation and certification, seminars to enhance driver skills, demonstrations of unusual carriage turnouts, and lectures on the timeline of the horse and the timeline of the carriage. These and other offerings are available at either Gloria Austin Stables or your site or horse or carriage event. Contributions to the Equine Heritage Institute are tax deductible and your generous donation ensures ongoing support for the horse and its history in shaping our world and civilization. EHI is also actively involved in research and the preservation of the carriage as a functional work of art. Contact them today at equineheritageinstitute.org. You can make a difference. Glenda Geek here. The life of horse person is hard enough, and we all hate doing the required paperwork, and unfortunately many of us never get around to it, and it just piles up on our desk. That is about to change thanks to the Equisketch Records app for your iPhone or iPad. My wife and I use it to track our horses, and we absolutely love this thing. Equisketch Records is the most thorough and complete equestrian records app on the market today. We love this app because you can track your farrier work, your dental, your Coggins, medicines, worming, and so much more. And you can get reminders on your device when all of these things are due. You'll never forget a worming or shots or farrier visit again. But it not only tracks your horse, you can also manage your horse shows, including individual events. You can manage riders, including lessons and memberships and so much more. And you can sync it between your iPhone and your iPad and all of this for the price of a couple of cups of coffee from Starbucks. Search for Equisketch Records in the iOS App Store or go to Equisketch.com. That's E-Q-U-I-S-K-E-T-C-H dot com. Equisketch.com. And coming up next, we have Dr. Tanya Cubitt from Performance Horse Nutrition. Dr. Cubitt comes on to the Horses in the Morning show about twice a month and talks about all sorts of nutrition-related topics. And this particular piece, Dr. Cubitt had recently attended a it's the Equine Nutrition Symposium, which happens every other year here in Florida. And all it is is a whole bunch of uh, equestrian professionals. Some of them are veterinarians, nutritionists, and the like. And they present their uh, most recent research. And she covers a whole bunch of different research projects that relate to uh, particularly keeping our horses from getting too fat, which is apparently just as epidemic as keeping our cells from getting too fat. So here you go. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Glad my pony doesn't have that problem. You should listen to this, Glenn. (laughs) You need to listen to this. Brody's pretty close to this. (laughs) (laughs) 
And welcome back to the show. Once again, Dr. Tanya Cubitt from Performance Horse Nutrition. Dr. Cubitt stops by the show every couple of weeks or so to chat about all topics nutrition. And what have you got for us this time? Jennifer, it's good to be back. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, we started talking about some of the new science that had come out from the Equine Science Society Symposium that was just this year. Uh, and I just want to follow up and finish with a few more of the studies that I thought would be interesting or useful to your listeners. I'm ready. I'm ready to be astounded. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure you'll be astounded, but um, hopefully they'll be practical and useful. Now, the first one that I thought uh, was would be useful to, to horse owners, um, when we estimate body weight, not everybody has the luxury of having a scale to put their horse on, just like we have a scale in our bathroom. Um, and we know that weight tapes, they're okay, but they're not great for every size of horse. And most of our standardized kind of weight tapes or current weight equations, body weight estimate equations that we use now, really are for the medium to lightweight size of horse. Now, and we've had concerns in the industry that there is no way to really estimate the body weight of warm bloods or draft horses. And because warm bloods are becoming more and more popular um, in our performance horse uh, realm, I thought this was interesting to put this weight equation out there. Now, these equations are really in-depth with um, to the power here and times this and times that. But don't worry. There is an app. Of course, there's always an app. There's always that. an app. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the standard equation that I always recommend and a lot of us in industry recommend for just a general horse to estimate body weight if you don't have a weight tape is to put a, a measuring tape around the horse's girth and you get a value and then you times that number by that number again. So it's girth times the girth times the length and the length is the point of the shoulder to the point of the buttock, so kind of the pointy bit that doesn't really stick out on most horses, but it's right beside the tail. So here's here's a here's a um, an area of confusion for many people. Mm-hmm. When you say the point of the shoulder, if I was to be hovering above the horse in a helicopter and look down at him, he is built like a rectangle, two yes. short sides, two long sides. When I'm mm-hmm. measuring from the point of his shoulder, that is on that's the corner of the long side, not the center of the short side, because that would be the center of his chest. Am I right? Exactly. Okay. You're correct. Yes. So when you stand on the side of your horse, yeah, you're measuring from the point which makes the the corner of the long side, you're correct. Um, to again the corner of the long side. Now the original equation, when you took the the length of the horse, you actually angled the tape upward towards the point of the buttock. So if you look at a line on the horse, it goes from the point of the shoulder and angled upward to the point of the buttock. Um, and that that value, so we had girth times girth times length divided by 330 would give you an estimated weight for most standard horses in pounds. That value, that's not very good at estimating warm bloods and drafts though. So now we have this much more in-depth girth by length, by height, by neck, divided by either two different numbers, 1,209 if it's a warm blood or I think 900 and something if it was a draft horse. Um, that's And when they took that measurement, they actually did a straight line because 
in the body weight, body weight calculations, this is also another area that people get very confused is, is the length of my horse on an angle or is it parallel? So do I take, keep my weight, my uh, measuring tape parallel from the point of the shoulder all the way straight back or do I angle it up to the point of the butt? And this new equation actually goes straight back. But don't worry, this would be a really hard one even for me to put into my calculator. There is a very cool app, which I'll tell you about in a second. (laughs) But how this group has gone a little further, the original weight equation just gives you a weight, right? The new one will also give you a weight, but then there's another equation which will it's a not what I call a novel equation for ideal body weight. So just because I get a number doesn't mean that my horse is healthy or unhealthy. So they've taken the correlated the ideal body weight with a body condition score of five. <clears throat> so again, they've got some numbers and lengths and height and different values as to whether you're a draft horse or a warm blood and given you whether your horse is ideal. Now, the thing that helps your clients the most, of course, is the app. Now, it's called the Healthy Horse app, and I think it's available for about $1.99. It was developed by the University of Minnesota. Currently, it doesn't have the draft and warm blood information in it. They're adding that. This was an app that got developed a couple of years ago. Um, and you can actually select on there Arabian, miniature horse, pony, saddle, stock type horse, um, and it gives you examples there. You put in your measurements, height, girth, body length, neck, circumference, and it's got a little picture there so you know exactly where to do your measurements. And then when you calculate, it will give your estimated body weight an estimated ideal body weight and then a body weight score, so what percentile your horse sits in. So that's a really cool tool, and we all have our cell phones attached to our hips all the time. Um so if you just had a piece of string at least and a ruler, you could then give an estimated body weight. And then if you're not sure uh, whether your body condition scoring your horse well, um, is he too fat, is he too thin? Most of us look at our horses and think that they are okay, but a lot of times they're a little bit heavy. So it will give you a bit of an estimated ideal body weight. Now, if you don't want to go through all those extra measurements and you've just got the girth and the length, you can actually go to thehorse.com and they have a great little, um, on their website, if you type in the search adult horse calculator, you can put in the girth and the body length and it will give you the estimated body weight using that old older um, body weight estimation equation. So two really cool tips. Thehorse.com is free. Pay $1.99 for the... Uh, healthy horse app. Huh. Pretty cool. That that's Very useful cool. too, because the, the previously the, for lack of a better word, body type of the horse really wasn't, you know, a 15 hand ranch bred quarter horse at weight X might not be as in good a condition as a 15 hand appendix quarter horse of the same exactly. weight. Yeah. They don't, exactly. they didn't take and I think, what we've done is we try to use the body condition scoring system, but interestingly, another another group from Europe presented some work showing that body condition scoring horses um, is 
very subjective. And even if you, so they took a group of vet students who you would hope that vet students could body condition school horses if they're going to get out and, you know, work in the equine industry. But even training them every day and getting them to, to body condition school multiple horses, um, the, the values in the end were still a little variable. So uh, they've come up with some other values to improve the body condition scoring. But I think for right now, this body weight estimation and adding the ideal body weight it kind of takes out of takes out of the equation that subjectivity of the person just looking at the horse and thinking, oh, I think he looks good. Um, or I've had the other, as you mentioned, you know, an appendix versus a, a thoroughbred. Uh, an experience of mine, I went to a boarding stable. The lady had the barn owner was very familiar with the heavy halter horse type of quarter horse. And one of her new boarders had a thoroughbred. She thought the thoroughbred was emaciated because it wasn't the body type that she was used to. I came and saw that the thoroughbred was in perfect condition, maybe even a little bit fat. But because all horses, as you said, carry their body weight in different places, sometimes it's hard for us to, to kind of take away our bias. Yeah. I had that. I had a very similar experience. I boarded one of my event horses at a stable. Uh, way back in the day as a youth, and the stable owners raised and showed halter horses, quarter horses. Mm -hmm. And a year went by. It was time for me to go back and be a working student over the summer. And my coach had not seen the horse all winter long, and it came back, and she just about fell off her sneakers. She's like, oh, my gosh, he looks like a blimp. (laughs) Well, they had fed him. Well, he needs to be much rounder than that. And, yeah, Mm -hmm. he he had to go on a pretty strict diet when he got there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Now, the next study, as we talk about body weight, um, is grazing muscles. I don't know how many times I recommend grazing muzzles and some of my clients say, There's a, oh, I don't know whether it works. Oh, my horse can't drink through it. He can't eat through it. He doesn't gain weight. He doesn't lose weight. Um, he doesn't keep it on. There are any number of reasons why people argue with me about the grazing muzzle. We realize that obesity is a big problem and moderating body weight while horses are at pasture because everybody wants to keep their horses out of pasture. I want to keep my horse out of pasture. That's what they're designed to do. Unfortunately, our horses don't exercise as much as they used to. They're typically a little overweight and our pasture varieties are improved. So these horses are getting a lot more nutrition out of these pastures. This was an interesting study, uh, again, out of Europe by a woman by the name of Annette Longland. And she has really been one of the um, pioneers in a lot of this um, pasture research but she wanted to look she's got some ponies and she wanted to look at okay these ponies live at pasture 24 hours a day um and i let's just keep them muzzled from 8 a.m to 6 p.m so she's got them muzzled for 10 hours a day and then they take the muzzles off between 6 p.m and 8 a.m the next morning and wanted to see okay can i decrease body weight or what happens if the ponies don't wear a muzzle at all so the ponies that were not muzzled at all any time of the day, just lived out on pasture 24 hours a day, and that's European pasture, gained 0.3% of their body weight daily. That is significant over the course of a year, yeah. over the course of a couple <laughs> of months. That's significant. Those that were muzzled only 10 hours a day, they lost 0.04% of body weight. 
Now, all the horses every day also did a small amount of exercise, but that was the same between the muzzled or not muzzled group. So they lost 0.04% of their body weight daily. Again, that's good. Um, one pony, she did say, though, even though he wore a grazing muzzle, he did continue to gain weight. Uh, and that's kind of my, uh, when I recommend to clients, they put grazing muzzles on their ponies. Some may stand in the corner and sulk and not eat at all until you take it off. Others are really crafty and they will find a way. So just watch your own pony and make sure well, that he's not yeah. the, the one out of five. It doesn't absolve you of the responsibility of I mean, monitoring your pony's weight. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it doesn't absolve you of giving them some more exercise. Now, see, the great thing about being able to keep them out of pasture 24 hours a day versus bringing them into a stall, um, if you don't want to muzzle them but you have to get them off the grass, is these ponies were able to exercise 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So even though – and that's interesting that even 24 hours a day they're wandering around – you don't have a grazing muzzle on, you're going to gain 0.3% of your body weight. Perhaps if you're standing in a stall eating grain, you're going to gain even more weight. So- well, and then there's the um, problem of the ulcer problem, whereas usually exactly. most horses who wear Ulcers a muzzle eat behavior. a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So I, even though, no, it'd be great if we could all just keep our horse's body weight under control and have lovely warm season grasses that aren't full of sugar. But that's not where we're at right now. So I uh, personally would love to see horses be able to go out if they're able to, with a grazing muzzle on, get the extra exercise and not have the issue with ulcers and try to live more semi-normal horse lives. (laughs) There you go. That says it all. Um, And so the next one uh, that I thought would be of interest is uh, we're commonly asked about choke. And my recommendation, recourse to choke when people say oh my horse choked on pellets or it choked on non-soaked beet bulb or alfalfa cubes it really doesn't have anything to do with how uh, what horses are eating but more to do with how they're eating if horses eat fast they have a much higher tendency to choke and i always recommend do anything you can to slow them down one of the things i recommend is to feed hay first Um, So a group actually looked at, does feeding hay first slow down eating? Now, other groups have looked at rate of passage throughout the digestive tract, but this was actually looking at just the consumption time. So they fed either hay and then either pellets or textured feed. And after 20 minutes of the horses eating the hay, they offered them the pelleted or textured feed, or they fed a pellet or textured and then gave them the hay afterwards. And they Mm -hmm. they measured the time that it took to consume the grain concentrate. And greatly, rate of concentrate intake, whether it be pellet or textured, was slower if they fed hay first. I think it just calms the horse down. You know, he's really hungry, he's excited about getting fed, Mm -hmm. but I start to nibble on my hay, my belly feels a little full, okay, that, you know, stress of being hungry has gone down a little bit, so I'm just going to take my time. But interestingly, if you took away the feeding hay and you just looked at, um, you know, the, so the hay and pellets or textured, if we looked at those two groups, when you fed hay first and then pellets, that was slightly faster than hay then fed textured. So the type, the form of the concentrate also um, can change rate of consumption. So textured feed is a little slower to consume. So when people say, oh, my horse chokes on pellets, 
it's not because they're pellets, but more because they're eating them a lot faster. So it's more about that rate of intake and also time of day. If horses have been stuck in a stall overnight, that first meal of the day, they may be more inclined to eat faster versus being a lot of our horses get turned out during the daytime or depending on the season, uh, what your turnout schedule is. But after they've been out at pasture all day and constantly grazing, they usually eat a little slow when they come in because they're not so stressed about having to eat. Right. They're not, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. Yeah. Especially in the summertime when they've been stuffing themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I did a little anecdotal study with uh, one of my clients up in New England and they've actually changed their feeding practices because of it. What we should, they have um, horses out in fields and then also some horses in the barn. So they used to feed the horses in the field and feed the horses in the barn. And by the time they got to the barn, horses are all very stressed. So now what they do is they feed the hay to the horses in the barn then go out, feed all the horses in the field, come back, feed the grain to the horses in the barn. And it seems to be working a lot better for them. The horses are less aggressive. They're not kicking the stall dolls as much, you know, all those kind of bad behaviors that we want to avoid. Yeah. Good idea. And it's, it can be inconvenient. It really can because... You know, you have that certain percentage of horses that bang on the buckets and do all that other kind of yeah. thing, despite the fact that you've given them their hay first. But mm. um, we used to you we used to have a kind of a thirty minute window. You had to wait thirty minutes after you gave them their morning hay before they were allowed to have grain. And we seem to see that that is yeah. like a, a typical amount of time yeah. that that some people wait. So I think that's why they did the twenty minutes to test yeah. because we if people do do it, about twenty to thirty minutes was a fairly standard amount of time people were waiting. So, you know, so, get 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 to work a half an hour late, folks. Go ahead and do it that way. Exactly. <laughs> or get up at a half an hour earlier. <laughs> so we've talked about uh, slowing them down and estimating their body weight and putting grazing nozzles on to keep their weight down. Now we're going to talk about feeding them fat. Um, you, you've probably seen a shift in performance horse diets to be more high fat, high fiber. And actually some work that was done quite a long time ago at Virginia Tech showed feeding high fat diets to decrease the flight response in horses. And the studies were uh, quite rudimentary. I think they had umbrellas at the end of a laneway and they would scare the horse and measure. (laughs) That's highly scientific. (laughs) I would not want to be one of those graduate students. But anyway, they definitely showed that the horses that were on the high fat diet versus the high sugar starch diet did have less of a response to the umbrella. Uh, But but how was that being, uh, what was the kind of, underlying mechanism for that happening. So a group actually out of Middle Tennessee um, State University looked at feeding about a cup and a half to horses per day of oil on top of a, I think, just a generic strategy. And they measured a whole heap of different things from heart rate to they had these sensor plates on the horse's feet to see how far they pushed their foot into the ground um, and had different, they would, they also, you know, they had a, a stress response that they did to them. I'm not quite sure what it was, but definitely heart rates were lower in the horses that were fed fat compared to the no fat added horses. Um, so again, their conclusion was these high, high fat diets certainly do decrease that startle reactivity in horses. So if you have a horse that seems to be a little high strung, definitely, um, and needs calories because it's a performance horse and an exercising horse, definitely adding fat to the diet, replacing those calories from sugars and starches with fat will help with 
the behavior of the horse. Not o- not only that, but it will help overall with just the health of the horse. But um, that was interesting. Hmm. It really just kind of confirmed some stuff that we recommend that we a lot. That um, oftentimes we anecdotally recommend a lot of things, but it's nice to see some science behind it eventually. Cool. And the last one, we all know writing is really hard work. Some people go to the gym, have these big gym memberships, but the rest of us ride. And we're hoping that we're burning calories while we're riding. Um, please, so please, actually, please, 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 please. I know everybody <laughs> was, you wouldn't believe how many women went to this. We were all like, yes, please, please, please. So um, they measured actually oxygen consumption and calories burned doing different types of riding. And it was done down in the south, so it was actually there. They looked at a simple walk-trot canner as their kind of lighter exercise. And then they compared it to their intense exercise. Now, this was done in the south, so it was raining and cutting. It was more western disciplines. But I definitely think we can extrapolate this to um, eventing, show jumping kind of things, games, sporting. Um, and the, when they were doing more intense exercise, the raining, cutting, for example, they were burning, raining were burning close to seven kilocals per minute. Um, and the cutting was close to five kilocals per minute. And now obviously you do that for multiple minutes. So it's more than seven calories. Um, versus if you just did the light exercise, it was closer to four calories per minute, kilocalories. Then if they broke it out and just looked at that simple walk, trot, and canner, if you're just walking your horse, I know you might sweat because it's hot, but you're only burning about two kilocalories a minute. But if you trot or canter, (laughs) if you trot or canter, trotting about three and a half kilocalories a minute, canter about seven cows a minute. Um, And they also did what they called a long trot, which I'm going to assume is like an extended, really moving out trot, maybe what you would do if you're doing a trail ride. Mm -hmm. Um, And those horses also, uh, people I should say, also burned closer to seven kilocalories a minute. And when I say kilocalories, when we look on our food labels and we see the word calorie with a capital C, that actually means kilocalories. Uh Kilocalorie calorie with a capital C, what we look at, it's the same thing. So Got it. seven calories a minute if you're cantering. Okay. So the, it's the same thing as, so if it says seven kilocalories, that's the same as if you looked on your box of cereal and it said seven calories. Calories, only if it has a capital C, but yes. Small C is a little calorie. Big C is a big calorie or a kilocalorie. Really? And you might notice if you look at um, energy values in Horses, if we look at digestible energy, we use mega calories. Horses are huge, so we don't want to write, write 5 million calories. So we write, you know, 1.6 mega calories. What's a mega calorie? Mega calorie is 1,000 kilocalories. And, and a calorie is 1,000, is a kilocalorie is 1,000 little calories. It gets very confusing because somewhere along the lines in human nutrition, we decided not to use KCAL and decided to just use calorie with a capital C. Wow. <laughs> we like to confuse things so let's, that let's, people can't understand what we're talking about. Let's make a note that at one, in one of our uh, future um, episodes, we're going to talk about calories. Just we to, will. We yeah. will. Because a lot of people also ask me about digestible energy in horses and why it is not listed on the feed tags. And that's a whole nother segment, but it's very interesting. And we can definitely touch on calories there. 
Let's yeah. talk about it next time. Yeah, there we go. Well, thanks a lot again, Dr. Cubit, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Easy Signs Online is the official sign company of the Horse Radio Network. This week's product highlight are their personalized nameplates. Perfect for horse stalls, tack rooms, lockers, bedroom doors, dog kennels, or whatever you can think of. Choose from hundreds of online graphics to further customize the nameplates from EasySignsOnline.com. Made from one half inch thick solid PVC signboard, these colorful and unique one sided nameplates are three and a half inches by 16 inches and are designed for durability, long-term indoor or outdoor use. They are only $39.95 each, and remember, free shipping on most orders over $100. Visit them at EasySignsOnline.com. And now it's time for Tack and Habit. This Tack and Habit segment is sponsored by Flirting with the World. Flirtingwiththeworld.com. All kinds of things for the feminine spirit, the wise and whimsical in all of us. And I believe that you have the product for us this week. I do. Today's product is something that I was kind of surprised by. Um, I'd heard the company name and saw a couple of images flash by and I immediately discounted the apparel. It's the Spooks Riding Jacket by Spooks Riding. By who? Spooks, just like it sounds. Think Halloween. S-P-O-O-K-S. Yep, yep, yep. So I thought it was like this play on, you know, like riding costumes. I don't know, you know, how those stores pop up every Every September, yeah, yeah. And they, you they see just them in the strip malls that can't rent out their stores. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, what? You know, what is this stuff? You know. And then, um, I actually had a chance to touch, feel, and try on the clothing at Ada last year, and um, they have these super fine, and I say fine, I mean very soft show coats that are stretchy. And they're fitted, so they're very feminine looking, but they're a traditional show coat. They have four buttons, um, a collar, you know, a lapeled collar, two front pockets, and, you know, they're they're short enough to not interfere with your, your riding. They're actually made for riding. They're not a repurposed blazer. Anyway, I tried this thing on, and it was, first of all, it looked so beautiful. It was really soft and light. And I'm like, gosh, I could totally, I would totally show in this because it's the kind of thing that you put on and you forget you have it on. Now, for a lot of people who show all the time, putting your show coat on is no big deal, but it really does get in the way. Like I, I, I just, it's distracting to me, but I'm also one of those super sensitive people who has to be like, you can't even put a string on my finger if I'm riding. Um, so, uh, they're not cheap. They're, they're, base model, quote unquote, base model jacket starts at $489, but I definitely think it's worth trying on. So if you find a a tax shop that carries the Spooks line of apparel, don't blow them off like I did. Go try one on. I bet you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, they're certainly not something you're going to wear in a hunter ring, some of these, (laughs) um, because they have some color to them and some fun to them. You know where I've seen these is pictures of jumper riders in Europe. 
Yeah. Uh, because you look at their coats and go, well, those are different. You know, they're, they're, uh, they're much more stylish. And I'm looking at the one, they have a coral one here. Yep. Coral colored. Coral, coral colored. And, um, but they're really, they're very elegant. They do have um, coats that are appropriate for the hunter ring. Um, no piping, just plain navy or black. They have, but I like the piping ones. They're cool. Is, it, the piping is just a little extra flash without being, you know, tacky. They they get it right. <laughs> and they definitely knows we wouldn't want to be tacky. Tacky, no, not us. Well, oh. they do push the envelope a little bit, and like for example, the show coat, the show jacket that we're featuring today has this beautiful coral color with white piping. They have a sky blue color with white piping, and then they have a bright red. But they, like I said, they also have navy. With black, you know, navy with navy piping, navy with white. So I think there's something for everybody. But for sure, the jumper riders will really appreciate this. Hmm, very cool. What do yeah, you think, And Jennifer? they're washable. You can wash them in the machine. Well, that's you, the most important feature right there. What do you think, yep, Jennifer? By far. I, I think they're lovely and attractive and wa- washable, I love. And the stretchy, I love. Because you can, it gives you a little bit more play with the fit. When you have really a jacket does. that's that's structured and there's no stretch to it, if it's fitted perfectly, unbeatable. But if it's not fitted perfectly, uncomfortable. So yes. despite the fact that these aren't are kind of on the higher end price point wise, you can play you can get a little bit of more scooch room in the in the fit. And I love the whole stretchable thing. I'm so over the the sleeve lining sticking to my sweaty arms. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah, over it. Yeah. Yeah. And Here's, I mean, this is, I don't know, guys definitely wouldn't think about this, but women do. When you have this much stretch and the soft fabric um, that these guys make their jackets out of, you have more flexibility in the bust area. Like for a lot of the, your traditional show jackets, if they're fitted in the waist, you have no room in the bust. So if you happen to be a bigger busted rider, you're you're out of luck. You have to get a jacket that's got a bigger waist and it it looks stupid. It looks frumpy. Mm-hmm. So, um, having this, the whole jacket be stretchy is really, I think it accommodates every body type. Yeah. I think it, uh, it's an interesting and cool option and totally kick butt stylish. So, uh, yeah. who came up with the name though? <laughs> well, that I'm, I'm questioning the wisdom, <laughs> the wisdom of, of the, spooks. Maybe it was yeah. a different country and it doesn't mean the same thing it does. Here. I think, that's I think that's true. Yeah. 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 I think they're. They're not I don't French. remember seeing these guys at Ada. I must have completely missed them. You know, I'm looking at some of the stuff they have. They have everything. I mean, they have all kinds of clothing. They actually have, uh, you know, they have all kinds of stuff, including free jump, soft up pros. <laughs> they have the bizarrest names, I am saying, unless it is translated and we just uh, are getting a bad translation here. But they're tempered steel stirrups. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for four hundred dollars. Where do you see those? I see the free jump soft ups. Soft ups, pros, stirrups for four. They come in pretty colors, but you know, if I'm going to spend four hundred dollars in stirrups, I want them to ride the horse for me. Um, (laughs) I like their safety stirrups. (laughs) Okay, their safety stirrups in colors. Well, what are the what are the um you know the bow balance stirrups up to these days? They're they're at like two twenty five. Those are you know the Springers are two twenty five. Yeah, you know, you all you have to do is come out with a piece of equestrian equipment and call it high tech, and you can you know charge whatever you want. You can charge whatever <laughs> you want. 
They have these things called tokes. I don't know what tokes are. T-O-Q-U-E. I thought a toque was the thing that chefs wear on their heads. Oh. Tokes. Uh, it doesn't have anything in under toques. Yeah. I don't know what country they they're from. They don't know what it is either. Toque is <laughs> Breton for hat. Middle oh, so Breton. Oh, you what know what a toque is? I know what a toque is. It's a beanie. It's the same thing we call a beanie. It's, it's a, a knitted hat, right? hat. It's a knitted hat for the winter, like you'd wear it's, in the wintertime. It's, yeah. No, it says now it's primarily known as the traditional headgear for professional cooks, except in Canada where the term is primarily used for knit caps. caps. And I'm looking so, and this company is out of Canada. All right. Uh, so that explains it. You think? Okay. There you go. We have to have somebody on from Spooks to find out how they got their name. Yeah. yeah. Is the last guy, is the guy's last name Spooks? You know, we well, need to look him up at Ada if they're there again. Well, let's we'll have go to visit get him, We'll have to get him on the air and find out what's going on with Spooks. Okay. Okay. Uh, very cool. Very cool. Hey, there's a product you have to check out, too. We talked about it on the driving show this week because you're into techie stuff. Okay. It's called Seahorse, S-E-E-H-O-R-S-E dot C-A, also out of Canada. And it's like a Fitbit for horses. And, and I, I, we had him on the driving show because I wanted Wendy to put, you know, Dr. Wendy to put her through the works. And Dr. Wendy came away a believer uh, and, and wanting one. But it's, okay. it's a Fitbit for horses that ties into an app that while you're riding, you can bring out your phone and look at the app and see your horse's respiration, their heartbeat, their temperature, the whole thing. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? And especially for drivers was the other reason we had her on the driving radio show because, you know, when you're driving, you have to actually stop the cart, have somebody head your horse, get out, walk up to the horse to do all that, right? Yeah. So you can't do it very easily if you're driving by yourself. Here, you just get out your phone and you look. It's uh, wireless to your phone. Now, you do have to pay a fee for their uh, monthly fee for, for being the wireless because it's it's actually wireless. Uh, it's not tied to your phone as far as a Bluetooth. It actually, you know, they're using a cellular tower to get the information up. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's really cool. And it's it's like instant information. You can just look for endurance riders and stuff. It's amazing. Cool yeah. It's not cheap either. I mean, it's not cheap. It's a piece of technology. Now, the most expensive one they have actually will is, um, what's that called? The kinetic energy will charge the battery. So it can go for like weeks without being charged because the horse's movement is charging the battery. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. And you just hook it onto their halter or their bridle. You can also, she said, if your horse is uh, boarded away from home, she said you can actually put it on their halter if you leave their halters on. And she said you can you can check in any time to see if you can even set an alarm that if your horse's respiration goes up to a certain amount, like they're running around being stupid, uh, <laughs> it'll set off an alarm on your phone and you can, uh, you know, have somebody at the barn check on it or whatever. She said also when mares are, are going into labor, their respiration goes way up. Uh, and their heart rate goes way up. And she said that's you can use it to check and set an alarm so you know your mare might be going into labor. It's really wow. cool. <laughs> Seahorse dot. So this is really cool because, like, um, this time of year, we were talking about, you know, the bugs and stuff. I put my horses out in a back pasture that I can't exactly see because the foliage come, comes in and, you know, I could see it three three months out of the year. But then when the leaves are on the trees, I can't see them. So I was like, I need to kind of keep them closer to home in the barnyard or in the front field, which I'm actually trying to rest. 
So if they start running around out there because the bugs are driving them crazy, my phone will get a little bit of an alert if I have this thing on them. Yep. Not a little bit of an alert. It'll get an alert. Yeah, you, you can set an alarm. Yep. And then it's really cool for drivers who are driving pairs because you have separate one. For, you can have a separate one for each horse. And you, you, on the same app, you can look at multiple horses. Um, so you could check both horses or so, all four horses. So I can see that PT Scooter is running around like a nut and Beaker is eating. That's right. That's okay. exactly what you would right. see. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens in our barnyard. Yes. <laughs> it's never the other way around. But isn't that cool? It's just something I thought I'd mention to you because I know you're into geeky stuff. What makes you think I'm into geeky stuff? <laughs> so, yeah, that that's pretty cool. If you want to hear that interview with the owner of the company, who, by the way, is a, like just graduated from college eventer. Um, you can, who must have sunk tons of money into this, uh, you can listen to that interview on the Driving Radio Show for this week. Just head over to drivingradioshow.com or on the app, either one. Excellent Isn't stuff. that cool? Yep. Fun, super, fun. super cool. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for joining us again. Where can you find Jennifer, Jennifer? You can find Jennifer at horsetipdaily.com. <laughs> <laughs> and where can you find Helena, Helena? You can find Helena at flirtingwiththeworld.com. And I hang around Horse Radio Network every now and again, too. Yep. And you can find Glenn just all over the place. Just pick yeah, a show. he's all over the place, all right. I'm even getting sick of hearing myself talk now. It's like, <laughs> I need to take a week myself. off. I'm getting tired of hearing myself talk. <laughs> I need to take a vacation yeah. from myself. <laughs> exactly. I've tried that before. It never works. It never works. Jennifer tries it all the time. She never works either for some reason. All right. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Alina. Thank you, everybody. That was a great week. Um, we're going to be back next week, aren't we? Yep. We'll be here next right. week. We'll be, like we are we'll be here week. with more. We're, we're here every week. <laughs> we're here every Let's week. Take we're going to go take a, we're going to go take a vacation from ourselves. But until you hear back from us, happy scooping, everyone. <laughs>